Hey, thanks for watching online. And uh, for those of you down in F3, um, thank you for uh, being down there and um, keeping your distance from us up here. We appreciate that very much. Um, we selectively put people down in F3. You know that, don't you? That, no, we don't. But um, let me pray, and then we've got Romans chapter 8 to consider again this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunities uh, that you give us to worship you, to celebrate what you've done, to be encouraged, Father, for um, the fact that we are your children. But Lord, we need the enlightenment of your Holy Spirit to um, instill in us and to, um, to quicken within us the reality of that, to transform us because of it. And so right now, I pray, Father, that you would accomplish that eternal work as we open up your eternal word. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Last year, during uh, one of the a more ferocious thunderstorms that came through here, um, I was sitting in our living room, and all of a sudden, there was this uh, thunderous boom right outside our house, a, a big flash. It was a lightning strike real close, and it shook the whole house. You've been in one of those things, boom. And uh, afterwards, I checked everything. Everything still seemed to be working fine, but man, that thing was close. Well, a few days later, I went into our garage where we have a little chest-type freezer, uh-huh, and I opened that chest-type freezer, and all our frozen food, all our frozen meat that we had, not, we had gotten not that long ago was all, it was gone. It was gone. And so I spent the next hour um, or more picking it up and taking it to the landfill. Um, one thing uh, that was reinforced to me in that experience, appliances are very dependent. They're dependent upon a power source to make them work. Just like Christians are. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are very dependent creatures. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're given everything we need for life and godliness. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Um, however, we'll never experience that. We'll never experience the reality of that if we're not plugged into the power source of God Himself through the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 is teaching us how to get plugged in to that power source and how to live the life that God expects us to live, that He's called us to live, that He has saved us to live. So take your Bibles this morning, turn with me again to Romans chapter 8. You see, Christians can be heaven-bound, but so oftentimes they're not enjoying the trip. Because we are dependent creatures, and if we're not plugging into the source of power, the Holy Spirit, we'll never enjoy the trip. Well, chapter 8, verse 1, as we saw last week, begins with this wonderful, this wonderful truth that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. And we looked at that word condemnation, which literally means... There is no um, sentence of servitude to sin. You see, when we're born in this world, we're born in sin. 
And part of being born in sin is that we are under the reign and domination of sin. We're under the sentence of a holy God that says, you're a sinner, therefore the sentence upon which now you must live is the sentence of the reign of sin and death. And there's nothing you can do about it but sin. You're under the mastery of sin. That's what we've been consigned to. We have been condemned and the sentence has been laid and set upon us. But when we trust Christ as our Savior, what is Paul saying in this verse? There is therefore now no sentence of servitude to sin. In other words, that has been broken. The mastery of sin, the reign of sin and death has been broken in our life because, he says, we are in Christ Jesus. The reign and mastery of sin is over because the moment we trust Christ, mysteriously we are identified and placed in Christ Jesus. That's a phrase, a little phrase that Paul so often uses. We are in Christ. We are identified with him. What is true of Jesus becomes true of us. We have a new position, a new standing, a new identity. Christ's righteousness was given to us as a gift and our sin came to his account. He took our sin, he gave us his righteousness, and our life is hidden in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. But as we've seen multiple times, and a whole chapter 7 was devoted to it, in spite of that, we all sin. We still struggle with sin. Why? Because that new me that's been raised up to newness of life in Christ that new inner me that is identified with Jesus is encased in a body of sin, in an earth suit that is still susceptible and vulnerable to the draw and the lust of sin that can so easily entangle us and lead us away from our simple, simple devotion to Christ. And Paul experienced it. The great apostle Paul, Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am! He hated what was going on at a point in time in his life. The good I want to do, I don't do. I do the very thing I hate. Oh, wretched man that I am. And so here is this person who is in Christ, still suffering from sin. But as we continue in Romans chapter 8, we learn that not only are we in Christ, but we realize that Christ is also in us. We have a power source. Now look at verse 9. He says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. That's the inner you, the inner me, who's raised up the newness of life in Christ. Verse 11, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Jesus is in you. His Spirit is in you. It dwells in you four times. That's emphasized in these verses. The presence of the Holy Spirit is in me, the very presence of God. And folks, that's the game changer. That's the game changer right there. As we saw last week, as we learn 
to appropriate that power that's within us. As we learn to walk according to the Spirit, then we experience something totally different. We experience life and joy and, and peace. How do we walk by the Spirit? We talked about that last week. By setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. How do we do that? I mentioned the five C's. I'm not going to go over that again because that's in last week's sermon. Look it up online if you forgot it or missed it. Or, you know, these things do kind of build on one another, right? These passages kind of move through the passage of Scripture. But we talked about uh, the five C's. So there is this whole idea of our relationship with Christ. He is in us. He is our power source. And so again, verse 11 says, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give, also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells within you. This mortal body, which is so susceptible to the allurements of sin, can actually find victory over that, can experience life. Yes, we're talking about one day we'll get a resurrected body, but what Paul is talking about here is here and now. Right now, this old mortal body that's dying can experience life. And so this is the wonderful blessing. Not only are we in Christ Jesus, but Christ Jesus is in us to empower us every moment of the day to live a life that pleases Him. Now I'm going to sound like an infomercial right now because I'm going to say, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Look at verse 10 again. It says, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness, and if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give your life, your, also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, verse 12, so then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have, verse 15, not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. We are children of God. And if children, we are heirs of God. Now, there's a great blessing that there is therefore now no condemnation. The servitude of sin has been broken to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's the wonderful blessing that Jesus lives in us. His Spirit empowers us. We have a power source that if we get plugged into and appropriate, leads to victory in our Christian life. We have the wonderful blessing, as verse 4 says, that the requirement of the law is now possible to be fulfilled in me as I walk according to that power. But there's even a, may I say, a greater blessing, or none greater than this fact that when I trust Christ as my personal Savior, I'm adopted into God's forever family. Now, we're going to talk about those family blessings in just a moment, but before we do, I want to talk about the, the family obligations because verse 12 says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, because if we're going to live according to the flesh, we'll experience death. 
The Apostle Paul understood what that was, even in his Christian life, as we saw back in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 says this, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Now, Paul's talking as a believer in Jesus Christ. Blood-bought, redeemed, heaven-bound, but Romans chapter 7, he said, ah, there was the stench of death in my life. And remember from that study, he was stumbling over this one law that says, thou shalt not covet. And Paul looked at what he didn't have as an apostle of Jesus Christ, no doubt, and he saw what the other apostles had, and there was this sense, this, this allurement that says, oh, don't you wish you had what they had? And Paul said, the very thing I didn't want to think, the very way I didn't want to behave, I did. Because you see, that law produced in me coveting of every kind, and it killed me. That is, it killed the life sap of Jesus Christ in my life. And Paul walked around probably like a guy who you, you wouldn't even wonder if he was saved. He was discouraged, he was depressed. A wretched man that I am. You see, sin had killed him. But what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 8, verse 12 is, look, we're not under obligation to the flesh. That thing's gone, dead, buried. We are not only in Christ Jesus, but he is in us. If we succumb to that flesh, yeah, it's going to kill us too. But don't let it. Don't let it. Verse 13 says, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body you will live. You're not indebted to the flesh. You're indebted to the Spirit of God. Back in verse 2, Paul said, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. We're set free from that. We're not obligated to act that way. We don't have to act that way because we're not the people we once were. But we are indebted, obligated to walk according to the Spirit. And if we walk according to the Spirit, then we experience life. And so what is Paul saying? Don't let sin kill you. Kill it! That's what he says, verse 13. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the, the body, then you'll live. Kill it! Put it to death. And how do we do that? He's already told us appropriate the power of walking according to the Spirit. Set your minds on things of the Spirit. Get up in the morning and realize we are in an all-out war, a spiritual warfare. And I can choose today to either walk by the Spirit or walk by the flesh. And if I walk by the flesh, if I succumb to those old temptations, it's going to kill me. It's going to sap the spiritual life right out of me. But I don't have to do that. I've got a power source. And so, Lord Jesus, this morning as I get up, I want to appropriate that. I'm going to set my mind on things of the Spirit. I'm going to confess, Lord, that I have it. I'm going to consecrate myself to you. I'm going to commune with you. 
I'm going to conform my life and obey your scriptures, and I'm going to be in community with the saints, the five C's. And as we enter that, we find there's life. There's joy. Sin is put to death within our mortal bodies, and it is killed, and we live. We experience the quality of the Christian life that God redeemed us to experience by virtue of the fact that we're his children. And that's what he says in verse 14. For if you're being, being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons, the daughters of God. All who are being led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. And it's at this point now that he starts talking about the wonderful blessings of being a part of the family of God. And he uses this analogy that comes out of the ancient Roman world. Of course, we have it in our day and age too, but it's a little different in the ancient Roman world of adoption. The concept of adoption, verse 15, for you have not received a spirit of slavery, you're leading to fear again. He says, you have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, this concept of adoption is far, far more involved than I thought I knew. I thought I had this thing on adoption down pretty well. I mean, after all, I'm a, <clears throat> I have a master's degree in seminary, and I have, uh, you know, theology, in fact, and I've been uh, preaching this for 40 years. Um, I learned this week, the more I study this thing, that I don't know so much about adoption as I thought I did. Um, but I'm going to share a little bit what I do know. It's a dangerous thing, I realize. Mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit more of this on our Sermon Spotlight podcast, which we do on Tuesday. So I'm going to develop that a little bit more. That's a little, little uh, hook there for you to listen to the Spotlight. Um, adoption, it's a wonderful concept. Um, in ancient Roman society, if if a man had a son, an heir, that he just, quite frankly, didn't like, who was a rogue, I mean, who was not worthy to bear his name and be the heir of his estate, he could adopt someone totally different, from a totally different family, someone who was worthy of his name, and he could adopt him legally into his family, and he would supersede all the other blood uh, children in his, in his lineage. And that adopted family would go to the head of the class, and that means that that adopted person would, of course, lose all his rights to his old family. Uh, all his past debts would be removed and, and forgotten. Um, everything would be uh, canceled out. He would become totally responsible to that new family and totally responsible under that new father. Furthermore, that adopted child would have all the privilege and all the responsibilities of the new family. He'd become a, the full-fledged heir legally in that family. And Paul takes that concept. Now, there's a lot more to it. But he takes that idea of adoption and he brings it over into the spiritual realm. And he says, as a believer in Jesus Christ, when you trusted Jesus, you were taken out of that old realm, that old master, and you were adopted into a, the new family of God. Now, see, every one of us born in this world are born under the father of Satan. That's our family. Everyone born in this world is born in sin and in the domain of darkness. That is the realm. That's our family, darkness. We are enslaved to sin 
and death. And then Jesus come and died on the cross, paid for our sins, says, I want to give you a new life. I'll give you the gift of my righteousness. Just put your trust in me. You, have, you don't have to do anything. You do nothing but believe. And when the moment of faith you believe that I paid for your sins, that I rose again to give you new life, the moment of faith you are transferred out of that family of Satan, that family of darkness, that, that reign of sin and death, and you're brought over to my family. I adopt you as a full-fledged heir you are my child, you are my son, you're my daughter in my family. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, said this idea of, of adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, even higher than the blessing of justification. See, justification is that divine, in that divine court of law, is that statement of acquittal. God, the judge, lowers the gavel. He sees the righteousness of Jesus on our account, and he declares us, you are right before my eyes. I acquit you of all crime. It's, it's a fact. It's, it's, it's calculated. It's true. You are now declared right. But adoption, it's like that, that judge takes off his robes, and now he, he bends down on one knee, and he opens his arms. He says, now come to Daddy. Come home to your father. Adoption is that highest blessing, says Packer, because it gives us this rich relationship with Almighty God that we can say, Abba, Father. Let me share with you a little bit of the blessings of adoption. First of all, blessings that, regard, uh, that are in relation to the Godhead. Blessings in relation, first of all, to God the Father. Again, verse 15 says, we cry out, Abba, Father father. That's a little Aramaic phrase that little children would say, Abba, 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 Daddy, Daddy, Papa, to their daddies. This term of, of endearment, of tenderness, of love, gentleness, Abba, Father. Paul said, we can cry out, Abba, Father. See what he says that? We just don't say, Abba, Father. We can cry out, Abba, Father. It's a little child who just got stung by a bee, Abba, Daddy! It's a little child who just got scared in the night, Daddy! And as the adopted children of God, no matter what it is we're facing, we can cry out to Him, Daddy, oh, Papa, Father! We have the right and the privilege in our relationship to the Father to call Him in the most endearing way, and He hears us, because He is our Abba, Father. Do you ever... Share with God in that deepest part of your heart? Do you ever say to him, I need to talk with you, Daddy. I need to talk with you, Papa. I need, I need I, I'm, I'm hurting, God. I need you. That's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he's sweating, as it were, drops of blood in his agony, he said, Abba, Father. Adoption. It's a family idea. It's conceived in the terms of, of a loving God who brings us into his family. What about our relationship with God the Holy Spirit? Well, again, verse 14, all who are being led by the Spirit, and that word being led by the Spirit is more than just kind of, you know, where you're taken by the hand and, and just we're being led by the Spirit. There's, there's a little bit more uh, uh, oomph 
to that term. It's more than just kind of the gentle nudging. In fact, one commentator said this concept conveys the idea of, get this, of holy violence, H-O-L-L-Y, holy violence. In other words, when you start going off here, sometimes that Holy Spirit moves, no, no, Mark, and he convicts of sin. You start going over here, no, Mark, and he, 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 he pushes me over this way. He cares for us in our walk. And He leads us sometimes quite strongly. He directs us the work of the Holy Spirit. This is His enabling power in our life. Look at verse 16. He also testifies with our spirit. We are children of God. In this ancient Roman adoption practices, um, Apparently, when that took place legally, there had to be seven witnesses to it. That would ensure that the uh, blood-born child could never usurp it, could never question it. That was testified, it was witnessed to by these witnesses. Well, in the same way, the Holy Spirit, it says, bears testimony with our spirit. With our spirit. I mean, our spirit is saying, Abba, Father, help me, Lord. And even when we're struggling, even when we're sinning, even when other people might look at our life and say, I wonder if they're a Christian or not, the Holy Spirit is there testifying with our spirit. Yes, we are His children. And He does it by His leading us, by His, his uh, holy violence in our life. He does it by the fruit that He bears in our life, the conviction that He brings in our life. As a child of God, the Holy Spirit is testifying along with my spirit. And he's shouting to me, that's my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. And he calls us into a deeper relationship and experience in his life. The blessings of adoption related to the Father, related to the Holy Spirit, related to the, to the Son, Jesus Christ, and I just want to mention this verse in Hebrews chapter 2. We won't turn there, but Hebrews 2.11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, all are from one Father, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he says a few verses later in verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his, his brethren, his brothers and sisters in Christ, in all things, so that he might be that merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of people. See, Jesus, he's our, he's our great sibling. He's our brother. In that sense, as the Scripture talks about, he's, he's our great high priest. We run to him and we call out to him and he helps us in our time of trouble and time of need. He intercedes for us before the Father. He's not ashamed to call us brother. This is the blessing of being adopted into the family of God. There's other blessings of adoption. There's future blessings. Look at verse 17. He says, and if you're children, you're heirs. Heirs of God. A spiritual inheritance awaits every believer in Jesus Christ one day in glory. That spiritual inheritance that says things like your sins are eternally forgiven. That spiritual inheritance that says you will have perpetual joy in my presence. That spiritual blessing that says 
God the Father will always be your eternal Father. That, that, that eternal inheritance that says a, a relationship with God will forever be undisturbed. If we're children, we're heirs of God. But notice the last part. Verse 17 says, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now I want to give you a, a little assignment. When you go home today, if you have a little bottle of whiteout, there's a comma right after, at least in my translation, where it says, and fellow heirs with Christ, comma, if indeed you suffer with him. White out that little comma. <laughs> you see, what Paul is saying is, every believer in Jesus Christ is an heir of God. He's our Father. And we get to enjoy the presence of heaven and glory forever. But we can be a fellow heir with Christ if we suffer for him. A fellow heir with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. A joint heir with him. Now, all what Paul is saying, and this is found elsewhere in the scriptures, is that there is a, a unique status, a privilege in the kingdom to come for those who have suffered for the cause in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know, quite frankly, how many born-again Americans in the last 300 years will enter that co-reign with Christ. I don't know. I sure know that there were people all throughout the history of the church who gave their life for Jesus Christ. There's people doing it today, imprisoned wherever, in China, different parts of the world, in Muslim countries, losing their life because of the name of Jesus Christ. And all Paul is saying is, we're all heirs of God. We all are going to get the wonderful inheritance of heaven and glory forever and ever. But if you suffer for him, you get to be a, a, a co-heir with Jesus Christ and share in his glory. Well, we could here in the United States. Um, if you're retired, why, you can move to some Muslim country, work in a Muslim country, clandestinely serve God and share the gospel with Jesus Christ and might even get caught and might even be beheaded for the cause of Christ. Co-reigning with Jesus. There's a final blessing I want to mention and that's the blessing that our adoption gives us right now in the present time, our present experience. Again, look at verse 15. It says, we have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Paul reminds us back in 2 Timothy that he has not given us a spirit of fear, of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. 1 John chapter 4 says, perfect love casts out fear. We live in fearful days, there's no question about it. Living in a fallen world, a world that is, in, that is under the clutches and the control of the evil one, it's a fearful thing. Nothing should surprise us in a fallen world. This world is held, even this country is held in the grip of a satanic power. 
And let us not forget that for a moment. But we've been adopted by Almighty God. We are in His family. And He's not given us a spirit of slavery that leads to fear. But we are His children. Growing up on a farm in Nebraska, the, I mentioned earlier the, the, this, this powerful thunderstorm that shook her house last year. Well, man, it seemed like we had a lot of those when I was growing up on the farm in Nebraska. And they'd roll across those prairies and they'd come and they would slam our farm and the trees back behind our grove, behind our house would be swaying. And one of my earliest vivid memories of a little boy growing up on the farm in Nebraska was one of those ferocious thunderstorms coming through. And I mean, it was shaking the house and I thought, my goodness, help me, Jesus. But um, at that moment, Jesus wasn't as real to me as my parents in the other room. So little Mark got out of his bed and pitter-pattered over to my folks' room and I crawled in next to my dad. Vivid memory, one of my first memories. And I fell asleep because, you see, my dad was stronger than any storm that was raging out there in Nebraska. I was with my daddy, Abba Father. You see, we don't have to fear for anything because we are in his family. He loves us with an everlasting love. What do you fear today? What are you concerned about? Do you know that you have that unshakable love by our Heavenly Father? Do you know that only bad and evil fathers will throw out their children when they don't obey Him? But our good Heavenly Father, He never, he never casts us out of His family. We are eternally loved even if we don't love Him back. Perfect love casts out fear. And we don't have a spirit of slavery that leads to fear all over again. Are you enjoying, are you basking in the, the warmth of the love of the Father because you've been adopted into His family? I read the testimony this week of a woman who had spent many years as a Christian struggling in her Christian walk. It impacted in a very negative way her marriage, other relationships, just her, her daily joy. It just She was not a fun person to be around. She explained that when she was a, a young gal, her older sister was hanging up some clothes out in the clothesline for, for her dad. They had washed their dad's white business shirt and, and the older sister was hanging up on the clothesline. And this lady in her testimony said, I was suddenly filled with the urge to hang up one of my daddy's white shirts. I'm not sure I can explain my motive. He was my daddy too. I was his daughter. I loved him in a childlike way and I just simply wanted to express it. But I couldn't reach the clothesline. It was too high. But I noticed that there was a wheelbarrow in the yard and its handles were just the right height for me. So I grabbed one of daddy's shirts and I pinned it to the handles of that rusty old wheelbarrow. Well, when my dad got home and he saw the shirt on the wheelbarrow, he became very angry with me and he punished me severely for ruining his shirt. She wrote, I didn't realize the impact of that event and so many others just like it that had occurred in my life over the years. And she writes that it was years later when she was being discipled by another older woman he was trying to help her deal with these struggles with her, her joylessness as a Christian. 
that 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 memory came up in her mind. That little girl trying to please her daddy who was severely punished. Her friend said, was telling her about the love of Jesus, the love of the Father, about being adopted into the family of God and and how kind and gracious he was. And, And this lady continued in her testimony and she said, I guess, well, if the Father saw me standing next to the wheelbarrow and I had ruined his shirt, I guess he would come over and he would he would hug me. And her friend discipling her said, well, that's close to what he would do, but you don't fully quite understand the heart of God yet. The lady went on to explain that this friend of hers, discipling her, said, you see, God would not overlook the shirt. He would take it off the wheelbarrow, and he would put it on, and he would wear it to work. And when someone commented on the rust marks on a shirt, he would simply say, oh, let me tell you about my little girl and how much she loves me. And the woman in her testimony said, I just then began to get overwhelmed with the realization of how much he really did love me. In fact, she said, I am beginning to realize now that my Christian life has been a continual effort to earn God's pleasure by getting his shirts hung up right that God would smile upon me if my theology was right or if I did this right or if I did that right. But since I knew how hard I had failed day by day in my works, I just kind of snuck them out on the line and tried to be away when God came home from work. She said, my entire Christian life has been one of oppression. I didn't know how to live day by day without an overwhelming sense of failure to perform to the standard that I thought God demanded. And with that came a sense of God being disappointed. God was even disgusted with me. I had gotten his shirts dirty. How overpowering it is now to realize that because of Jesus Christ, I can experience a daily freedom to move out into people's lives. I can love others. I can obey God with my heart because I don't fear that he will be furious with me if I get his shirts dirty. Praise God, she says, there is now a freedom to love that I haven't known since the moment before my earthly father got home that day so many years ago. I am free in his love. Christian, how well do you believe these words? You've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You've received a spirit of adoption sons and daughters of God, and we can cry out, Daddy, Father, and experience the wonderful blessings of being one of his kids. Let's pray. And so, Father, take these words of Romans chapter 8, and please, Lord, drive them into our hearts. There may be people here today, Father, that have kind of kept you at arm's length. And maybe it was, Father, because of an experience with an earthly father, something that was cold and distant, or maybe there wasn't even a father at home. Maybe it was some other trauma or some other issue in our life. Father, through your Holy Spirit and the truth that we've just read in Romans chapter 8, you can transform our thinking. You can help us right now, Father, accept this wonderful truth 
We don't have to live in fear. We've been adopted by a God who eternally loves us. We're your kids, and you care for us. I pray, Father, that right now that truth will sink into our hearts. We present ourselves to you, Father. Where there needs to be corrected, a correction in our thinking, then do it right now. Holy Spirit, lead us. Push us. Move us powerfully towards the heart of God where we find perfect rest and peace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.